in a hot, damp metal building filled with an odd assortment of seniors, as they like to be called. A hand-painted sign above the only visible door majestically labels the place as the Cypress Garden Senior Citizens Building, but other than its name, the place has not the slightest hint of flowers or greenery. The walls are drab and bare, except for an ancient fading photograph of Ronald Reagan in one corner between two sad little flags, one the stars and stripes, the other the state flag of Tennessee. The building is small, somber, and cheerless, obviously built at the last minute with a few spare dollars of unexpected federal money. I doodle on a legal pad, afraid to look at the crowd inching forward in their folding chairs. There must be fifty of them out there, an equal mixture of blacks and whites, average age of at least seventy-five, some blind, a dozen or so in wheelchairs, many wearing hearing aids. We were told they meet here each day at noon for a hot meal, a few songs, an occasional visit by a desperate political candidate. After a couple of hours of socializing, they will leave for home and count the hours until they can return here. Our professor said this was the highlight of their day. We made the painful mistake of arriving in time for lunch. They sat the four of us in one corner along with our leader, Professor Smoot, and examined us closely as we picked at neoprene chicken and icy peas. My jello was yellow, and this was noticed by a bearded old goat with the name Bosco scrawled on his Hello, My Name Is tag stuck above his dirty shirt pocket. Bosco mumbled something about yellow jello, and I quickly offered it to him along with my chicken. But Miss Birdie Birdsong corralled him and pushed him roughly back into his seat. Miss Birdsong is about eighty, but very spry for her age, and she acts as mother, dictator, and bouncer of this organization. She works the crowd like a veteran ward boss, hugging and patting, schmoozing with other little blue-haired ladies, laughing in a shrill voice, and all the while keeping a wary eye on Bosco, who undoubtedly is the bad boy of the bunch. She lectured him for admiring my jello, but seconds later placed a full bowl of the yellow putty before his glowing eyes. He ate it with his stubby fingers. An hour passed. Lunch proceeded as if these starving souls were feasting on seven courses with no hope of another meal. Their wobbly forks and spoons moved back and forth, up and down, in and out, as if laden with precious metals. Time was of absolutely no consequence. They yelled at each other when words stirred them. They dropped food on the floor until I couldn't bear to watch any more. I even ate my jello. Bosco, still covetous, watched my every move. Miss Birdie fluttered around the room, chirping about this and that. Professor Smoot, an oafish egghead complete with crooked bow tie, bushy hair, and red suspenders, sat with the stuffed satisfaction of a man who'd just finished a fine meal and lovingly admired the scene before us. He's a kindly soul, in his early fifties, but with mannerisms much like Bosco and his friends, and for twenty years he's taught the kindly courses no one else wants to teach and few students want to take. Children's rights, law of the disabled, seminar on domestic violence, problems of the mentally ill, and, of course, geezer law, as this one is called outside his presence, he once scheduled a course to be called Rights of the Unborn Fetus, but it attracted a storm of controversy, so Professor Smoot took a quick sabbatical. He explained to us on the first day of class that the purpose of the course was to expose us to real people with real legal problems. 
It's his opinion that all students enter law school with a certain amount of idealism and desire to serve the public, but after three years of brutal competition, we care for nothing but the right job with the right firm where we can make partner in seven years and earn big bucks. He's right about this. The class is not a required one, and we started with eleven students. After a month of Smoot's boring lectures and constant exhortations to forsake money and work for free, we'd been whittled down to four. It's a worthless course, counts for only two hours, requires almost no work, and this is what attracted me to it. But if there were more than a month left, I seriously doubt I could tough it out. At this point, I hate law school, and I have grave concerns about the practice of law. This is my first confrontation with actual clients, and I'm terrified. Though the prospects sitting out there are aged and infirm, they are staring at me as if I possess great wisdom. I am, after all, almost...